Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. I hope you enjoyed last month's episodes I did building up to Halloween. I had so much fun doing the Fright Fest episodes, and very good chance I'll continue the Fright Fest for future Octobers. And since it was the month of October, my girlfriend and I sat down to watch a bunch of scary movies. One of the movies we watched wasn't exactly a horror movie. There were no machete-wielding slashers, ghosts, goblins, or ghouls. But as my girlfriend Shannon put it, quote, It isn't scary per se, but the thought of doing this stuff, it just freaks me out. The movie she was talking about was James Cameron's The Abyss. The movie is set thousands of meters under the ocean and follows a crew of oil drillers who live in this submerged world environment, work environment. Like most James Cameron movies, The Abyss was a monumental undertaking, lot, you know, huge set design and everything, and the world building makes it easy for the viewer to step right into the shoes of the cast. But this episode isn't about the movie as a whole. This week I wanted to do an episode on the real-life science behind a technology used in the abyss. I'm talking specifically about liquid breathing. In the movie, a Navy SEAL medic is introducing a new classified technology to members of the oil crew. The SEAL medic tells them about a, quote, fluid breathing system and how it is cutting edge and classified. The crew members don't believe a person could breathe with fluid in their lungs, even after the medic explains that it is, quote, oxygenated fluorocarbon emulsion. So to prove the liquid works, he takes one of the crewmates' pet rat and traps it inside a glass container of this oxygenated fluid. You can see right into it, and the rat squirms, wriggles around as if it is in pain, but eventually it starts to calm down. The rat starts to breathe this translucent pink fluid, It sounds like Hollywood magic, right? Wrong. Uh, James Cameron filmed an actual demonstration of a rat-breathing liquid and included it in the movie. While watching the scene with my girlfriend, I told her it was all real. She demanded I do a podcast episode on the subject to explain. So here we are. <laughs> and to explain this movie scene, just this specific scene better, I found an LA Times article where James Cameron's assistant, um, it looked like the name Van Ling, Uh, he explains, quote, The point of the rat drowning scene was to see the rat survive. So rest assured that we didn't spend the time and effort consulting with various experts and the $400 a gallon for real-life liquid fluorocarbon just to kill the poor thing. Under the guidance of fluid-breathing experts from Duke University, we did the scene for real, and the rat survived the scene for real. The rat survived breathing the liquid, the oxygenated liquid. Now, that blew my mind, and I thought it was a great idea to do a podcast on it because there's quite a lot of fun science and interesting information about it. Now let's take a step back from the movie and focus on what liquid breathing is in relation to reality. Why does it exist at all? Well, as we all, knew, all know, humans can't survive underwater unassisted. We don't have gills or lungs. Evolve, our lungs evolved to breathe air. Humans did not evolve to live underwater, and if we attempt to do so, it can be fatal. One of the most obvious ways is drowning, but when you factor in going deeper into water, even more fatal complications arise, namely decompression sickness, oxygen toxicity, or problems from nitrogen narcosis. Now, these are more compl complex forms of death from deep sea diving don't occur from the deep itself. They occur because we humans have to inhale air, breathe air in an environment with such immense amounts of pressure. The deepest scuba dive was 332 meters. That's about a thousand feet or a little over three and a half football fields. This depth took the diver 12 minutes to reach 
300, like from the surface, it took him 12 minutes to get to 332 meters, but then it took him 15 hours. I say him, it could have been a female, I don't know, sorry. It took him 15 hours to get back to the surface. Only 12 minutes down, 15 hours up. When it, the, the reason is when a diver breathes air under pressure, each breath they take in is filled with more oxygen and nitrogen molecules. The nitrogen starts to build in the body, and when the diver ascends, the nitrogen forms bubbles all throughout the body, more so around the joints. It is incredibly painful and incredibly time-consuming to avoid. This is called decompression sickness, or the bends, as it's more commonly called. This can cause tissue and nerve damage. In extreme cases, it can cause paralysis or death if the bubbles are in the brain. To better understand what deep sea pressure does to a living organism, I'd like to reference the Ugly Animal Preservation Society's 2013 winner for the ugliest animal, the blobfish. Now, the blobfish lives off the Australian coast at 1.2 kilometers. That's about 13 football fields depth. Okay, it is at this depth. The blobfish just looks like an average fish. However, um, the to counteract the extreme pressure, the blobfish's cells have much softer cell walls to allow nutrients to be absorbed. The blobfish got its peculiar name because the fish first time a human ever saw one was at sea level. You know, regular atmospheric pressure that we're used to. It was caught in a fisherman's net, and it looked very different from how it appears in its natural habitat. When blobfish are brought up to the surface, they look like depressed blobs of pink mush. Without all that pressure, the blobfish cells begin to fall apart. Basically, I urge you to look up a picture of a blobfish. You know, at our atmospheric pressure, it will give you a laugh.、Uh, but then, once you know the science behind it, it's also kind of depressing because I don't know if I, I doubt they survive after that. Now. If it were possible to eliminate the need to breathe air at these depths of, you know, around the blobfish or farther, a lot of medical complications like the bends would cease to be an issue. But humans need oxygen. There's no way around that. However, that oxygen doesn't have to be delivered to the alveoli in our lungs via air. As long as those alveoli can receive and exchange oxygen, they don't care what form it is in. And since liquids don't. Become compressed the same way as gas compresses. Theoretically, liquid breathing could allow humans to explore much deeper into the ocean、uh, without a submersible vehicle. A diver breathing liquid oxygen wouldn't be subjected to the partial pressure complications that happen with gas. But why would humans want to go so deep anyway? Where's the incentive, or you know, let alone the funding for such a thing like liquid breathing?、Um, well, when it comes to ridiculous amounts of funding for the right reason, the oil and gas industry is one of the biggest. They have tons of money, and think about it: there are oil and gas rigs maintenance at two thousand meters below sea level. Of course, special unmanned drones exist now today that could dive that deep to repair a drill. But the capabilities of maintenance drones pale in comparison to having a man on site. Plus, those unmanned drones are incredibly expensive in themselves. Now, I've explained there is a theoretical way to allow humans to dive much deeper than ever before. There is a part, there is a practical reason to do so, and there are industries like oil and gas that would be happy to fund research needed to make it happen. Then why is liquid breathing something featured in science fiction movie like The Abyss? You know, why is it not real? Why did I tell you the scene where the rat was breathing it was real? But now I'm telling you the same movie that all the scenes where humans had to breathe it—that、uh, was all special effects. Ed Harris, great actor. There's lots of scenes with him with, in, you know, supposedly breathing stuff in in the movie. He had to hold his breath for the entire time. That's a monument in itself. Because if you know how many scenes he has to, 
have this liquid stuff in his face. He's wearing a helmet filled with liquid, holding his breath and acting. Great actor. Um, and he's supposed to be breathing it on film, but he's not in reality. He's holding his breath. Um, Ed Harris, <laughs> he didn't like those scenes. Just as a little side note, I, in an interview, he said, I will never talk about the production of The Abyss, and I never will. <laughs> so... Anyway, well, in our world, the theoretical and practical don't always mesh together. Theoretically, we could breathe this liquid, this oxygenated liquid. We could go very deep, and there's funding to do so. Why doesn't happen? Well, practical reasons why. Reality doesn't always work out the way it does on paper. Humans have been researching liquid breathing since the 1960s, when the Office of Naval Research was trying to find ways to increase the escape depth for submarines. Back then, scientists were putting mice into oxygenated saline solution, then subjecting them to pressures equivalent to about one mile below sea level. I can only imagine the gruesome, re- the re- gruesome results of those uh, trials. But they soon were able to get the, the mice to survive for a little bit. Depending on the conditions, mice would survive for minutes, maybe even hours, breathing this oxygenated saline. However... None of the mice survived indefinitely, and at first, the researchers couldn't figure out why, because the mice surely were getting enough oxygen in their lungs. The mice in these early experiments were dying from the first major hurdle researchers have struggled with in developing liquid breathing. Respiratory acidosis. I love that word. And it is a condition caused by the lungs not being able to expel enough carbon dioxide that is created by the body naturally. Researchers then had to find a liquid medium that could dissolve large amounts of oxygen and CO2 to, you know, counteract that problem to get rid of that CO2. The only non-toxic option was perfluorocarbons, also known as PFCs. They are synthetic liquids where they're hydrocarbons with the hydrogens replaced with fluorine. So perfluorocarbons are clear, odorless, and of course they can carry tons of oxygen and CO2. Chemically, PFCs are the best option for liquid breathing, but it wasn't long until the researchers noticed they had another hurdle on their hands. Perfluorocarbons are about twice the density as water, um, so very thick, and which makes it extremely difficult for humans to breathe. In order for the PFCs to keep up with the human body, a diver would be in danger of carbon buildup at a resting heart rate. So even when someone's calm, breathing as hard as they can, trying to get this stuff in and out of their lungs so they can get oxygen to their body, the risk increases exponentially if the diver uses liquid breathing and needs to exert themselves, you know, needs to move, needs to exercise. And if you've ever swam before, you know it can be hard swimming. Swimming is a state of exertion. So the difficulty and how thick it is that our lungs weren't meant to breathe like that we don't have diaphragms and chest cavity you know muscles in our chest that allow us to breathe like that it you would have to almost be evolved for thousands of years to be able to, to breathe that thick stuff in and out despite all these complications the office of navy research research decided to test it out on humans for the first human trial a commercial diver laid down on an operating table and inhaled oxygenated perfluorocarbon fluid. The diver was able to breathe this liquid, but once the operation was over and he began to breathe air again, the diver developed pneumonia. So the medical staff on site were not able to remove all the fluid from his lungs. What a lucky guy. This human trial showed what hurdle number three is for those trying to make liquid breathing a viable option. Removing the liquid from the lungs completely is very difficult, but necessary as the results can be fatal if any of that fluid remains in the lungs. So 
That's hurdle number three. Since then, the, the funding and manpower looking into liquid breathing has shrunk significantly, but some people are still forging ahead. A recent concept is to equip divers with a mechanical vest that will assist the diver with exhaling and inhaling by, you know, compressing their body. Also, the diver would have a CO2 scrubbing device installed via catheter into their femoral vein in, in the groin. Uh, the scrubbing device would act like an artificial grill getting, gill getting that CO2 out of the body. I pictured this mechanical vest and CO2 scrubbing gill uh, looking pretty cool on some spec ops deep sea diving team. Uh, but if you think about it, who in their right mind would voluntarily swim to the depths of the ocean with liquid in their lungs, a big heavy machine designed to partially crush their rib cage, and a mechanical gill attached to their groin. There are just too many factors involved there, too many, too much risk that something will go wrong while diving to an area that is that you know no ambulance is possible to reach them. Any medical help is pretty much you're you're you're, out, you're on your own down there. So I don't know who all is going to try out those mechanical assisted parts for the liquid breathing. And then consider that. Consider this. Let's say you are the first guy to try this out. First guy to try all the the mechanical chest stuff. You've seen half a dozen other people try it out, and they're doing fine swimming around in this stuff, and all those insanely complex conditions. So you're considering it, like you know, hey, those other divers seem to be okay. Maybe I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll try this, all this mechanical stuff on and liquid breathing.、Um, it would be pretty cool to explore the world's oceans. But then it is your turn. You step up onto the boat. The guy who's helping you put all the gear waits until that you, you're putting your helmet on to explain. Oh, and by the way,、uh, you're going to experience what it's like to drown.、Uh, <laughs> you look at him in the face. He doesn't seem to be joking, and there's no smile on his face. And then the guy continues to explain. Yeah, pretty gnarly.、Uh, you're going to have to defy one of the most primal instincts we as humans have. And take a big breath of liquid. <laughs> Your nervous system will think you are dying, and so you'll feel as if you are really dying. How neat! You'll probably convulse, and it will feel like your chest is on fire. The only difference between actually drowning and this stuff is when the last bit of your strength and willpower are leaving your body. Just as you feel yourself slipping into that sweet state of unconsciousness, your body will start to absorb oxygen again. You'll come to your senses real quick and realize breathing is now a chore and really, really hard. You're braver than me, man. You know what I mean? You're trying to put yourself in that position. <laughs> all this, you're like, no way. All that, all the other stuff they've already explained to you, all the papers you've already signed. They're like, by the way, here's the last horrifying hurdle that researchers face developing liquid breathing for deep sea diving. The participants have to be willing to endure excruciating pain equivalent to drowning to death. So that's the that's one of the last huddles, but perhaps the most definitive hurdle facing deep sea diving is a reverse effect from what the blobfish experiences. The blobfish I mentioned earlier. Whenever we humans wrench it from the natural home at 1.2 kilometers below the surface, we humans who evolved to operate at our one atmospheric pressure experience cellular problems. The deeper we descend into the deep, the YouTube channel Atomic Frontier explains: "Quote the lipids that make up our cell membranes become so rigid that they cease to function correctly. After one kilometer, blackouts and death ensue. Until we turn into human-shaped blobfish, this is the hard limit on how deep we can dive. So even after all that, one kilometer, your cells will start to <laughs> to not function at all. So."、Uh, you, 
liquid breathing is kind of dead in the water, pretty much. This is just a small glimpse into what goes into human innovation and the scientific method. You know, hypothesize, test it out, examine the results. Even in cases like liquid breathing, where the odds seem stacked against the people doing the research, there is still hope, though. Through documentation and collaboration of ideas, a research project that is considered a complete failure in one field of study can be considered an amazing breakthrough in a different field. The medical field has used the research done for liquid breathing and has applied it to saving lives. The medical community,、uh, they call it liquid ventilation, and use it to treat all sorts of lung problems. Premature babies whose lungs have not yet developed past absorbing oxygen in their mother's womb can be treated with liquid ventilation. The PFCs act as a temporary、um, surfactant and help the premature baby's alveoli stick together when exhaling. Liquid ventilation is used as a medicine delivery system for people with COPD and cystic fibrosis. So. Stories like the progression of research into liquid breathing are a testament to human innovation and the power of scientific method. Just because it doesn't work out for the Navy and and allowing their subs to escape and allowing people to escape, or or even the scientific community who want to explore the the world's oceans, it can be used for something else. That research was not was not a failure. It was used to help save lives. So, I just thought that was a wonderful story, a wonderful new technology. I hardly knew anything about. I love learning about this uh, uh, liquid breathing, and the most brutal part I could think of was trying to breathe in that that stuff that's twice the density of water into my lungs. Ooh, freaks me out. Anyway, thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. I hope you have a good week, and go please tune in next week. Feel free to listen to my October, October Fright Fest episodes I did last month, and have a good one.